Welcome to the Club and Country Podcast, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage, brought to you by the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone else in their respective disciplines. I am not one of those people. I am Braden Gall, <laughs> filling in for Wes Bowling. Honored to be here in the chair with the start of the season. And you can follow me on Twitter.com or Blue Sky at Braden Gall. And I am Tim Sullivan. I'm the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com, and uh, I'm glad to have Braden here. Uh, I know most of you have seen on social media that Wes is unavailable. Um, he has a family medical issue that he's dealing with in Canada. Hopefully, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping for the best for Wes. So a, a really big show. Obviously, you've got the CONCACAF Champions League underway. Uh, obviously, that will be Thursday evening. We've got new kits. We've got new players. We've got a whole brand new season, a seventh year of Gary Smith coaching up the Nashville SC squad. We've got homegrown territories, just some disputes to get to. And of course, referees are going to be the big story that dominate headlines across the MLS. But we'll get all of that to you, of course, today, brought to you by ML Rose and our wonderful beer partner as well, Bearded Iris. But to your point, I do want to say, um, you know, honored to be here with you, Tim, and to get get started with the season. Excited about the season. Uh, this is a team that that has made some small tweaks, but still very, very exciting time of the year for soccer fans. That being said, um, obviously, whatever it is that you can do from whether it's thoughts, prayers, or just putting out good energy into the ether, uh, be thinking about Wes and his family. He's not been shy about it on social media. Mm -hmm. So if you want to reach out that way, please do. I'm sure he'd love to to hear the comments and to see from you guys. Um, he, he They are in it right now. And uh, just take a few moments to to say hello to him or to say that you're thinking about him or to put out some good feelings, some good thoughts, some good stuff into the ether. Uh, I'm sure he would really, really appreciate it because uh, uh, obviously, like I said, honored to be here hanging out with you, Tim, talk soccer. He cares deeply about you guys uh, as soccer fans. It's why he does this. And I know he would love to be here right now, but uh, please be thinking about him and his family. Yeah, so. and um, I want to say thanks to all the people who have reached out asking what they can do. Um, you know, at this point, uh, what Braden just said is, is you know, your thoughts, prayers, whatever belief system you have is is the best thing to do. Um, when when Wes and his family get back back home from Canada, hopefully uh, there'll be a little bit more from a practical perspective. I'll thank you to all of you who have reached out asking what you can like physically or or materially do for them. Um, for now, um, the the answer is unfortunately nothing. But going forward, please uh, stay tuned for that. And again, special thanks to to both ML Rose and Bearded Iris, who have been as supportive of Wes and his family as our business partners could ever possibly be. Your business partners, so you guys are all in this together with him. And uh, again, I think it's a, a testament to Tim the job you and him have done to build this this audience and this this sort of group of people who love uh, SE soccer as we get started. And again, year number seven. With Gary Smith in charge. So with that in mind, Tim, shall we get started? Let's do it. Let's get to the early shouts. And of course, Tim, this this is going to be the story that dominates all of MLS soccer across the country. And I don't think it's as dire a situation as people realize, but it is going to be a big, big story. And that, of course, is the lockout of the professional referees organization. Um, we're not going to have MLS refs, for the, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, what type of impact do you expect this to have on Nashville SC specifically, but also the league as a whole? Yeah, I think it's uh, the sort of dispute that um, is going to honestly draw enough attention that it gets resolved, hopefully, pretty quickly. That's literally the point of a strike is that is that people see that the the labor force is is important. They're an important piece of the puzzle. Uh, one thing in the next you know few weeks as as we watch these games, uh, keep in mind what Wes and I usually say, which is was fans please show grace when there's an error because the people who are on the field are the best referees available we are going to see what is not the best referees available and and that sounds a little scary i think you're going to see why uh we always are are saying if if you don't like it um please understand that that there's not somebody out there doing better and and um you know you you can be the change you want to see in the world if you don't think officiating is good enough Call call the the uh, Tennessee State Soccer Association and see when when the next onboarding meeting is to, for becoming a referee because um you know these these guys that are that are doing it at a high level um you know the Ismail Elfaths of the world um you, you know these guys that the the MLS referees whose names you recognize the guys whose names you don't recognize are are not 
the, the, the reason you don't recognize that name is not because they are doing such a, a better job that nobody is noticing their name. It's, it's because there are guys who aren't at the highest level. And that's not to say that they aren't going to go out there and, and do the, the best that they can, but they just don't have the seasoning. They don't have the, the skills that these high level refs have. And I think the high level refs see that. And that's a, a big part of um, the leverage that they have in this dispute. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that have, to your point, like there's some World Cup caliber guys that are in mm-hmm. the MLS and, of course, fighting for a group to get better compensation. But at the same time, I think the bigger I, I, to your point, I think you're absolutely correct that, w- you know, the way to appreciate something is when it is taken away from you. Yeah. And I think generally fans of every sport are I think it's kind of lazy to blame refs in every sport. And I think that's something that fans tend to do across all different types of athletic competition. And I think generally refs get a bad rap. I think you'll learn and see in firsthand exactly what their value is here. But I don't I don't know if the impact is felt as much as it would be on the lower possible levels. Like you get down to USL2, for example, and like that person you're telling to go uh, sign up for classes might yeah. actually get a job <laughs> like right away. And so yeah. I'm curious, like if you're watching USL and then USL two stuff, if you're watching that, like that's where you're going to see, I think, like people that have no qualifications. But hopefully yeah. uh, we get the, the issue resolved because otherwise it's going to take over the entire conversation about a sport that we should be excited about starting in. A yeah. And, and that's that's unfair to to fans of the sport. And I think, again, the referees understand that that is their leverage at this stage. And we'll see how quickly they can come to terms with yep. um, PRO and, and how quickly PSRA can you know, sort this all out. Let's uh, hope it gets done uh, as quickly as possible. All right, some homegrown territories defined here. Now, first of all, I, before we get into arguing about what Chattanooga <laughs> and Hamilton County should be doing, <laughs> uh, give everybody a quick rundown of exactly how important these territories are to any given club. Yeah, so the the concept behind it is as an MLS franchise, you have a physical area, geographic area to which you have exclusive rights to players who come from that area. That means if you are a kid who grows up in San Jose, um, uh, San Jose Earthquakes have your homegrown rights if you become a professional soccer player. Um, If you want to play for a different club, they either have to trade your homegrown rights, they have to um, sign sign something that gives up the homegrown rights. They would not do that because they can just trade them (laughs) and get, you know, a little bit of general allocation money out of it. But um, essentially, um, because MLS is is a single entity, it is the opportunity for the clubs to not have to bid against each other um, for players that are from different areas. It is essentially a a, a cost saving measure from the league, but it does mean that um, if if Nashville wants to sign a guy who is from um, the Atlanta area, they need to they need to um, give that. Uh, you know, it's usually about fifty thousand dollars in general allocation money for homegrown rights. Um, it's it changes year over year, but um, if they want to sign that first professional contract with Nashville SC, there needs to be some sort of transaction or Atlanta United um, deciding to forego those homegrown rights. So the the geographic territory that you control um, can be pretty important to having a, a strong academy system. So Nashville does not get any exclusive rights to anything in Kentucky. We could debate that. They do get sort of the Huntsville, Madison, North area. Uh, of Alabama, maybe they can get maybe they can get uh, Muscle Shoals out of the deal and just get all the musicians <laughs> as well uh, to come up and do the riffs. Uh, but they most importantly, I think to me, and I don't know, tell me if you think I'm wrong here, was Chattanooga area going to Atlanta United instead. It it is I realize geographically it is located about halfway between yeah. Atlanta and Nashville, but it is in the state of Tennessee and it is ours. Damn it. I don't know why. And it's a very good, I mean, that's like when I was in high school playing soccer, we would play all of our championships down there. Like it's a very good soccer community. And I think it's kind of a ripoff that Atlanta gets access to that as a territory. Yeah. And I, I think the, the big thing here is I, there are a couple other ones around the country. I think the fact that Minnesota United um, gets, gets all of Wisconsin into Milwaukee, everything else that is within 75 miles of the Chicago fire stadium, which I mean, we're seen in Kenosha. So they do not have access to Jesse Marsh, I guess, but um, everything else um, in the state of Wisconsin belongs to Minnesota United is is strange. And, And Atlanta United is in the same situation. More players come out of Atlanta every single year and play in MLS than have come out of the state of Tennessee in its entire existence of 28 years or whatever it has been. Every single year, there are more players from Atlanta than from the state of Tennessee. It's just bizarre that Nashville has such a small area when it's a state that that the the caliber of talent is increasing, but 
uh, historically just the, it necessitates giving more geographic area because it is a state that doesn't produce a whole lot. More players come out of the Twin Cities every single year than the entire state of Tennessee, and that would include Chattanooga. And yet Minnesota United gets not only its its Twin Cities area, but it gets all of Minnesota. It gets all of Wisconsin, except for the, you know those southeast portions that are close to Chicago. More, certainly more players from Milwaukee have played in MLS um, this past fall than or last summer than have from Tennessee and the entirety of the existence of the league. There have only been um, four, I think it is, players from Tennessee in the history of Major League Soccer. Literally every single every single season, there are more guys from the city or from Milwaukee <laughs> County, I guess is technically the rule, than, than, than have played from Tennessee in its entirety. It's just a bizarre thing. The clubs, I think, had a, had a chance to um, you know, have their say in some of these things. My guess would be that Nashville said we will accept a slightly smaller territory because then we can go pluck guys from Western North Carolina. We can pluck guys from areas that aren't in our homegrown territories, but they aren't in anybody's homegrown territory. So those are kind of free for all areas. My guess would be that that's that's what the the thought process is here, but um, it really is just a guess. Either way, it's bizarre. Nashville's first uh, homegrown signing at Dem Sipich is from Bowling Green. Bowling Green is is you know, everybody who's listening knows this is barely an hour away from Nashville, mm-hmm. and it's not part of Nashville's homegrown territory. Meanwhile, you know, five hours from from, from St. Paul, you go to Milwaukee, and that's part of Minnesota United's territory. It's just a bizarre bizarre choice there. But um, I, I you know at the end of the day, I think. Um, Nashville has done a good job um, kind of figuring out ways to get homegrown players that that they either didn't have a chance to develop because they came up in somebody else's system or that they were able to trade for and develop um, from young guys. So we'll see if it's something that they're able to overcome. And I imagine they will, because that has been a necessity as as long as the academy has existed, which is actually before the Major League Soccer Club ever kicked a ball that the academy had as well. So we've got a lot of stuff to get to. Of course, there's an opening match uh, against uh, the Red Bulls coming up on Sunday. We've got new players, new roster moves. We've got a new starting lineup. We've got expectations for the entire 2024 season. There's a lot of stuff to get to uh, today on the program, but a couple more shouts here. And this is because I love this stuff because there is no right or wrong answer. It is purely opinion and things like uniforms, jerseys, logos, kits, everything just gets the internet, It like drives the internet absolutely bonkers yeah, people are nuts about this stuff <laughs> you, and and again it's because everyone can have an opinion and everyone's opinion is different and it's totally okay but obviously se 615 primary jersey uh was released for this season and next uh they've got the blue bar across the chest they got the blue shorts I, i'm going to say one thing before i give you my thoughts or even ask yours tim and that is that i would caution everyone to watch the team play a match in the uniform before making your official permanent grand sweeping decision on a kit because there are some that look really great in social media and then look terrible on the pitch. Uh, I remember the national predator stadium uniforms that they played in outdoors at Nissan stadium. They looked terrible when they were announced. And then when I saw them in person, I had a completely different reaction to them. So just make sure you see them in person or see them on the screen before we make any grand sweeping decisions. Cause I think there's some positives. I like the blue shorts, for example, I think that looks cool. I think it's going to be an interesting look, but I don't know how that's going to look on TV or in person on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. I, I even go for a Nashville specific example. Uh, Brayden, how do you feel about the Nashville SC crest? Uh, it's fine. Just... Everybody, th- everybody hated it when it came out. Now everybody thinks it's fine. Oh, because oh, they saw the team oh. play in it. Yes, going back because I I really like the USL one, but now yeah. it's like at, at the time we are we have a reaction to change. We are aver- we have a, we have an aversion to change, and so I love the USL logo, and I was like, oh, that looks it was yeah. kind of old school. It had like an old school Nashville vibe, and they came out with the new one, and I was like, oh, this new one is like very retro. It's very trendy. And everybody and sort of everybody hated it. Everybody yeah. hated it, yeah. and it was and now everybody's just like, it's fine. Oh, it's, 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 I think it's it is way what better. Nashville is. I think it's way better than the old logo now. <laughs> I've completely changed my opinion, <laughs> which, of course, is a sign of being a mature adult. <laughs> being allowed just liking to liking the Nashville SC logo. No, yeah, just being allowed to change your opinion and accepting yeah. of your of your of your own evolution. Um, no, look, I I think it's interesting. I, do I like the all blue with the the road kit with the neon trim? Do I like the neon kit at home with like all all sort of one color? I think that's cool looking, but I'm interested to see what breaking yeah. it up will look like this year. That's all. I'm I'm actually really 
among, I'm among the people who have been saying, you know, since day one, hey, how about dark shorts and, and a light top? And and here we are. So um, yep. I, I think it looks pretty good. Um, the bar kind of the bar across the chest kind of um, ties it together with the shorts as well. So it doesn't look like, yeah. you know, you, you're wearing an unmatched item. And, um, you know, as soon as we see it on the field, uh, I'm I'm pretty confident that I'm going to like it on the field, too. But at this stage, um, I don't see a whole lot to dislike about it. What's funny is I wear my Johnny Cash kit as pregame. When I go to the when I go to the matches, I'll wear the bl- all black because I could just go sit at a nicer restaurant. <laughs> like with that particular or go to like a nicer place if I'm sitting down like in my neighborhood. Um, and by the way, Emil Rose coming to my neighborhood going to be great. Uh, but like I the yellow one is so is so bright like i i can wear more things with the black one you know like and now i'm and now i'm getting yeah. into territory where i'm becoming a 41 year old middle-aged dad fashionista and that's a bad <laughs> that is a bad place for us to be so uh, i'm going to pass the ball back to you what about the um what about the patches i think this is a cool idea 35 yeah. neighbor 35 neighborhoods in middle tennessee specific jersey patches that sort of you can go pick out and add to to your product if you want to sort of rep your neighborhood yeah, I think it's really cool. We all know that the best and most important patch is, is the, the nation's patch because um, it represents the best and most important neighborhood. But <laughs> one thing that I would like to point out is that there is a Melrose patch, which brings us into a very important portion of the show because uh, that is the patch that will represent Melrose. And that is our sponsor, of course. Uh, if you want to if you want to be the person who collects a patch for every ML Rose location, I will buy you. <laughs> I will buy you a beer because they basically have them for all of them. A couple of them you kind of have to shoehorn in. There's a Franklin patch. There's a downtown patch. We we can use that to represent the Capital View location yeah. of ML Rose. There's a Sylvan Park patch. There's an East Nashville patch, which um, is is kind of broad, but that can represent the Inglewood location of ML Rose coming soon. Yeah. Uh, Mount Juliet, Gallatin. Those are where ML Rose locations are. Those are patches that you can get on your Nashville SC jersey. Again, I'm not joking. First person to get all of those, and and ha- and you know what? I'll buy you ten beers if it says ML Rose on the, on the name on can, the back. Too. Can you can you buy the patches separately? And I don't know. Get- you can you can buy you can buy one, two, three, four, five, six, seven jerseys and cut the patch out and sew it onto sew it onto one jersey. So I could spend upwards of a thousand dollars on uniforms yes. to get the beer from you. Is that what we're getting yes. at here? Yes, that's what you can do. If you could buy the patches, though, those are they are really cool. And like from a graph, like much like kits, graphic design is a very individualized taste. I think the Hillsborough Village patch, even though I don't live there, like I'm, I live in East Nashville. I think the East Nashville patch is fine. I don't think it's the best one, but I think Hill, Hillsborough Village is, from a graphic design standpoint, is absolutely fantastic. I don't like the fact that I think the Green Hills patch is awesome, uh, but, it, but, <laughs> but it looks great. Um, I think the Mount Julia, go to the mall because he likes the patch. <laughs> the downtown one, I think, to your point, Capital View location, of course. My wife works over mm-hmm. there. She goes to eat there all the time. Uh, she loves the burgers. Loves the. Here's the other thing that goes unnoticed about Mo Rose: the 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 dipability of the ranch dressing. It is the best dipping ranch in the city, and that's <laughs> not only do you get curated beer taps and delicious food, but you get like the best dipping sauces too. The downtown patch is really really good. Um, I, I like some of the 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 bubble letter ones, like the Gulch and Bellevue. Yeah. Um, those are kind of cool, but I, I would go Hillsborough Village. It looks like an old like '70s truck. I think it looks really cool, so I like the. But again, everybody's personal graphic design. I, if you could buy all the different patches, like I would absolutely buy a bunch of East Nashville patches and put it like all over my gear. But I don't know if I I'm not going <laughs> to buy seven different uniforms, you know. <laughs> Well, then you aren't getting a free beer from me at ML Rose. At the ML Rose location of of your choosing, by the way. (laughs) I was looking for that. I was looking for that. All right, let's get into the start of the season here, Tim. And Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, there are some new names. So we'll start there since your last couple of episodes here. There's some new signings and some new names uh, that this team has gone out and acquired. They went and added uh, 33-year-old defender Brent Coleman as well. So we'll start there with him. What do you like about him? What does he bring to the team? Yeah, he's he's an interesting signing because, like you mentioned, he's already 33 and he's been basically a bit player for Minnesota United, which has not been one of the best clubs in Major League Soccer. They've been fine, but they haven't been somebody that you you kind of say, "Hey, we need to sign the 33 year old from that from that club." He's not going to mess anything up. He's he's unlikely to break into the starting lineup, though. I would say as well. Um, Nashville SC has historically liked Creighton grad. There's a weird Creighton connection going on here as well. Um, something that's um, you know, I I don't feel like the Blue Jays. Uh, 
consistently put out elite uh, soccer product on the, on the NCAA fields, but they put out a lot of players into Major League Soccer. And Nashville SC has liked that. And we'll see if if Coleman, even though he's been out of college for well, at least 11 years now, is somebody that that can kind of continue that that string. A couple of other names here. And then I want to ask you about the lineup uh, as mm-hmm. a whole. But um, uh, Wubbins Passius, of course, is a Canadian forward, 22 years old. Uh, hopefully I said that name correctly. Um, this team obviously could use depth atop the formation. What do we make of of, of acquiring a, a young forward from Canada? Yeah, it's interesting because he has played uh, entirely in Canadian Premier League so far. And I, I see that as USL League One level or lower. So it's not like he's been at a very high level yet. He's probably a depth piece, but like you mentioned, he's also only 22 years old. If he's a guy that Nashville sees and says, okay, he's playing at a slightly higher level than college soccer, and he's still college soccer aged, I think they see as him as somebody that can be a contributor, maybe not this year, maybe a little bit this year, um, you know, in, in competitions other than Major League Soccer play, most likely. But in the future, you know, three or four years down the road, if he can develop, he can be somebody that you acquired on the cheap. And, and you know, acquiring contributors on the cheap is, is part of how you win in this league. And I think that he's the sort of guy that that does that. Uh, last but not least here in the in this week's acquisitions, Julian Gaines, of course, the younger brother of McKenzie Gaines, 21-year-old defenseman from the United States. You got both Gaineses now, two Gaines in one yeah, week. Um, two Gaines in Trinidad, James. Um, yeah, he's, 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 a, uh, he's a right back. He's uh, another young guy. He's just 21. Um, the Nashville SC release said they signed him as a free agent. They they meant that they claimed his discovery rights and signed him, that there's there's a meaningful difference there in MLS rules. Uh, everybody knows I would. Everybody who listens regularly knows I would love to sit here and enumerate those, but it's it's beyond <laughs> the point because it doesn't really matter. But um, he's a guy, a, another developmental guy. I actually really like him as a future prospect, possibly even more than Pasias. I, I like him as a guy that can be a right back of the future. Um, he's got really good athletic ability. Just needs to to kind of settle in and be more of a, a soccer player. And that's something that he can do. He's played mostly MLS next pro and USL. So he's a guy that again is, is stepping up a level and some, some guys step up a level and you find that they, they can't find it. Other guys step up a level and that's how you get the best out of them. And I, I suspect, especially with the success McKinsey Gaines has had, albeit playing mostly for a bad Charlotte team. Yes. But I, I do think that the family, the family history here shows that the Gaineses are able to step it up. So I want to ask you sort of about the starting lineup and the roster as a whole as we enter as the, as the season gets started, and especially for for those who are new uh, to the show, who are ready to get into soccer and are joining this, um, joining you guys up for the first time. I, I want to know, in general, there's not too many roster changes, but of the new pieces, uh, obviously a midfielder Drew Yearwood is going to be a piece that could contribute and be a, a, a dynamic factor potentially in the midfield, something mm-hmm. they probably need. And of course, we know Tyler Boyd's going to provide a lot of support on the wing. So it's good that there are two pieces that are sort of in the middle of the formation that could have an impact. Uh, are those the two names that people need to know the most? Are there any? Is there anybody else in this group that you think can step into a larger role and maybe help, let's say, push the evolution of the product forward, let's just say? Yeah, I think when you look at what what Boyd and Yearwood can do, they are the obvious guys who are going to be big time contributors for this club. I do think Boyd is going to play a lot on the wing and, and can probably be that uh, well-rounded attacking player that can complement Hani Mukhtar. Nashville has had some pretty good attacking players that can complement Hani Mukhtar, but too many of them have been kind of, uh, you know, one note, one note musicians to uh, to uh, strain a Nashville analogy, I guess, but, um, <laughs> it is, it is something that he's a little bit more well-rounded and, and at a high level, um, speed wise, especially at a high level and some of his attributes, he can really change things. But in terms of the guys that we, that, you know, are not the obvious <laughs> contributors, I think when you see a guy like, um, Pesillas come in, is he going to change the team this year? I don't think so. In the future, could he, a couple of years down the road, could he, make Nashville say, okay, we want to be a little bit more of an attacking type of team. Um, I think Gaines too is, is it's not that he personally is going to change what the team does. It's that I think he is indicative of maybe a new direction that the team wants to go in the future. He is a pure speed guy at right back. Nashville hasn't really had that. Um, Shaq Moore has not really been that he's, he's, a reasonably speedy player, but he is not a pure speed guy in the way that Gaines is. And, and some of the reason Gaines is a pure speed guy is because he does not have the well-rounded soccer skill set yet. But I do think signing a player like that, you see the intention going forward. Do you see the intention to change for 2024? Probably not right now, but um, I, I would say um, 
as you have a changing of the guard, losing Dax McCarty this offseason, especially um, a guy who has been one of the minutes leaders for this club, you see that there's not necessarily a new direction, but I think it's emphasizing other aspects within the same direction. And I think these signings, um, all three of the guys that we that we just talked about, um, Pullman to the, to the least extent, of course, because he's not a guy who's probably going to be here in 2027, 2026, however far away we want to project it out. Um, I, I think they're indicative of of kind of a not philosophical change or shift, but different emphasis within the same philosophy. Yeah, I think ultimately the question is, how long does that evolution take? And mm-hmm. could it take too long? I think is, is is obviously one of the biggest questions coming into this season. I do think that there is it is reasonable to expect change within a particular player, and that is Sam Surridge atop the lineup. Obviously did mm-hmm. not deliver a ton last year. Uh, had a couple of moments, but that is not what, you know, at his acquisition and his cost and his talent and his mm-hmm. track record last year was not what fans should expect. I have been told by other folks I need to chill out with my criticisms mm-hmm. of Sam Surridge because this year yeah. will be a first full season of him yeah. atop the formation and should deliver very, very different results for this team. So if nothing else, that should be a part of the change in the evolution right away. Yeah, I, I think you raise a good point on Surridge is that you know, the expectations for him are are high. And I would actually say it's not just because of the acquisition costs and all that. I would say you saw flashes of what is to be, and that included League's Cup last year where he was obviously outstanding, and then he faded during MLS play. But the the underlying numbers, as as we will always talk about, um, you know, he, he put together pretty good XG numbers. He put together, um, you know, some pretty good expected assist numbers. It just didn't pay off. And I think some of that is it's just there was a lot of bad luck for Nashville last year. I wouldn't necessarily hold it against Surridge unless and until we see it become, um, you know, something of a of a trend. Uh, there was not enough of a sample size last year. We always have to mention sample size on this podcast, of course. Um, there's not enough of a sample size last year to worry me. I would I would I would um, focus more on what what he was getting himself into position to do rather than whether or not he converted. So I think that's when in. Um, the, the other guys are basically all the same. I think you have seen what you are going to get out of Jacob Schaffelberg. It is often quite good. It is, he's often a little bit injured too. So it's not a guarantee that you're going to get a ton of production out of him. But the, the addition of Boyd is really the one that I think is is going to open things up a little bit. You you finally have a secondary creator alongside Hani Mukhtar. And I think he will probably be the number one backup for Hani Mukhtar too um, as, as the kind of central uh, creative player, I guess would be the way that Gary Smith would say it. But um, I, I think that he allows Hani Mukhtar to not have to do everything himself. And that prevents opponents from saying, all we have to do is shut down Hani Mukhtar and we shut down this team. I think that opens things up a little bit too. Well, and to your point about, uh, you know, this is a very high variance team. It depends on one or two finishes or one or two big plays. Surge missed a few of those. And so that can taint you know, the perception yeah. of how a player is performing. Uh, but I do think having a full season up there, I, look, I, I think the midfield is the glaring question and the midfield uh, from an offensive support standpoint is going to be the, the issue in terms of the evolution of the, of the franchise, because again, nothing's really changed. The approach hasn't changed. You know, the style right. hasn't changed how they attack hasn't changed. Everything has basically been Gary Smith since, yeah, I don't know, going on four years now and it's basically the same. So the players are going to have to be the thing that makes the difference here. And if that's a full yeah. season from Surridge, um, Boyd being a, an impact potentially on the right wing, you know, some midfield development and some of these pieces they acquired, et cetera, et cetera. You, you obviously have a very high floor with Lovett, Smar, Zimmerman, and more along the back line and depth at, at, in, in net as well. So the question I have for you about expectations, because this is a team that, according to Vegas odds, seventh or eighth in the Eastern Conference. When you look at, I was looking at MLS's projections on their website. They had 17 different people project out where Nashville SC was scheduled to finish. One one expert had them at fifth. Three people had them at seventh. And then the other 13 had them eighth or worst. So ultimately, do you think this, this roster's floor is better than that, which I would agree with? And ultimately, what happens if this team does finish eighth to 10th and not in the postseason potentially? with the power structure that is in charge of Nashville SC. Yeah, I do think the floor is higher. Um, we have not seen this club finish lower than seventh yet in their existence. And this is not the worst team that they've put out on the field. So I think the floor is higher. And, le- and last year's uh, disappointment was with everything going wrong. And that's like bad luck type stuff, not just, yeah. um, you know, you know players not converting like it's you miss walker zimmerman for um you know 15 regular season games because he's injured you miss um you know a a little bit of performance from hani mukhtar because he misses a couple games here and there 
you hardly have Randall Leal at all. There's a lot going on that that was bad luck that it would be really unlikely to repeat. And I think even if it were to repeat, the the floor probably still is sneaking into the playoffs. So it's just really not something that I think fans should should really be too concerned about in terms of what the projections are. And I think Nashville has been projected outside of the playoffs um, three of the past four years by the experts <laughs> at MLSsoccer.com as well. So it is just a sort of situation where um, we'll see what happens. Nobody can tell the future, but I, I would be surprised if it went that poorly. If it does, which is the, the loaded portion of the question you asked there, mm. I do think there it would be time to kind of consider what this project is, because it has been, as you mentioned, it has been the same project project for each of the past four years. And this projects to be the fifth year of executing the same project. We've seen a floor for sure. And it's a pretty high floor. I th- have we seen a ceiling? I think when you look at finishing, uh, you know, on tiebreakers third uh, to Philadelphia Union a couple of years back. Is it even possible to go higher than that in in the way Nashville is building? I don't know if if they finish outside of the playoffs, is this um, you know acquire from within sort of roster build going to work long term? Is uh, a defense first, um, maybe less exciting, le- minus Hani Mukhtar sort of attacking structure, something that um, if, if it's not selling tickets based on its excitingness, is it? going to sell tickets if the team loses too who knows uh yeah, i i do yeah. think you would have to kind of look at that and say what are we doing what is our philosophy and is that philosophy that we have been using for the past five years going to be something that serves the city and serves this club best going forward well i know my five-year-old cannot wait to get to the park uh mm-hmm. not many games start early enough for me to take the five-year-old who <laughs> is and, and i'll be very clear she knows one name on the team and and it and with all due respect to his well cultured left foot, it's not Dan Lovitz. She knows Hani. <laughs> she knows Hani Mukhtar's name, and she she plays. She's, she's going into her fourth year of soccer. The four p.m. kickoff means I get to take her. She cannot wait. She is excited. That being said, I will be fascinated to see the seats because even in a playoff match last year where they did not particularly perform well, there were still empty seats there. Mm-hmm. So now, and that, part of that's on the fans because Nashville is a fickle beast. But Nashville yeah. is a fickle town that likes to you know, move from party to party real fast. <laughs> so, so some of that's just Nashville, but it'll be fascinating to see what the crowd looks like uh, to get this season started. So uh, it'll be, I mean, look, I, the, the five-year-old is ecstatic and that's all I care about. So it's going <laughs> to be, it's going to be a lot of fun, but that's not the first match, of course, that this team will be, will be playing uh, quickly on Thursday evening. Uh, it, Mocha FC in the CONCACAF champions league. We're, we're not using the acronym. Tim, I mean, well, so it's, they changed it from league to cup, and Wes and I completely swear off cup. It's still CCL. It's not it, CCC. It, look, I'm I'm not a marketing expert here, but I do think continually rebranding yourself every year maybe not the well, best marketing strategy. No, that's that's what you're supposed to do. Oh, you have to buy your new gear. <laughs> oh, oh, my bad, my bad. Okay, so they are they are heavy favored, of course, to win on Thursday evening. Miami's already advanced, so they're going to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miami in the second round. I don't know if more than a a one-one win is important, but you got to get the one here. So, what are what should fans be looking for, and what should be the goal of the game uh, against the Dominican Republic squad on Thursday evening? Yeah, th- so this is not a team that would compete in MLS, uh, to say the least. They finished second in the Dominican Republic to Cibao FC last year. They were led in scoring by a 37-year-old. That's Uruguayan Gustavo Ascona. Um, like you mentioned, game one is is tonight in the Dominican Republic. Uh, the goal is to not have what happened to Austin last year happen to you. And that is uh, take a big road loss too much to come back from when you get home. I, I think any sort of result, just get out of there. Uh, one, one fine. Yeah. Even, even a one zero loss or a, or a two, one loss, isn't that big of a deal because you trust your fans to kind of pull you over the finish line when you return to Geodas park next Wednesday. So I do think that it's, it's just don't get blown out and it's, Quite honestly, it's it's easy to not get blown out. It's not necessarily easy to win, but it is easy to not get blown out basically anywhere in the world unless you're playing, uh, you know, a, a big five league club, as we have seen happen to the the champions of CONCACAF Champions League in the past mm. when they go to the Club World Cup. Uh, this is not one of those big five league teams. I think you just get out of there uh, with a draw or maybe even a, uh, a one goal win and you are feeling really good coming back to Geodas Park. Yep, absolutely. All you need there. And so again, by the time you hear this, they might have already accomplished their goal. They're a heavy betting favorite. Yes, United States, you can gamble on the CCC. 
<laughs> if you want to. Uh, all right, so the opening uh, opening match of the regular season against the Red Bulls uh, is on Sunday evening, uh, well, Sunday afternoon, I should say, 4 o'clock start time. Uh, so get there early according to your travel plans. We'll have an update by the, on that, by the way, in the mailbag here coming up, uh, traveling to Geodes Park. Uh, but what do we expect out of the Red Bulls? We, we sort of have, they have a, a track record of style of play that we've seen over the yeah. years. Uh, very different <laughs> from, from mm-hmm. the style of play to that of Nashville SC. What are you expecting on Sunday in the first match of the regular season in the MLS? Yeah, I think the most notable uh, thing is that Nashville has never beaten Red Bulls. They have played uh, a half dozen, or a, yeah, half dozen times, and, and Nashville has never won. They have um, drawn a couple, but they have never won. They have lost more than, they, than they've drawn. Um, I think going out and getting a result against Red Bulls, but getting a win against Red Bulls is is crucial, and and I, that is what makes it. Uh, Braden, I almost called you West there. That is what <laughs> makes it our our bearded Iris tap of the week, and that's going to be. Uh, I'm predicting a win against New York Red Bulls for the first time, and and oh, bearded no. Iris will be the one to pull them over the line here. Oh, yep, no. I'm doing it. Can't uh, believe so, you just did that uh, to the poor squad. Yeah, there we go. So, so the uh, the tap of the week is is Nashville SC over Red Bulls, but the bearded Iris tap of the week. Um, is after a six-week slumber lagering away in Fermenter number one, One Cent Texts, their German mm-hmm. Pilsner collab with the friends over at Barrique, is here. It is named to commemorate Spencer's sending uh, Bearded Iris a thanks for the collaboration message via Venmo through a one-cent money transfer. Uh, this 100% Pilsner malt slash Rothhaus-inspired lager is an absolute crusher. They had a launch party uh, this past Thursday, so a week ago today. Um, but they're still pouring it at their Sylvan Park location inside uh, the Sylvan Supply Building, as well as uh, the flagship Bearded Iris building as well. Yeah, uh, obviously, great place to go grab a beer after work, of course. Just swing on by Sylvan Supply. You can grab a beer. Uh, they've got little food options in there as well. I'm not going to throw names out, but uh, it's attached to Bearded Iris, so go check them out as well. Uh, it's a great it, – they got the patio. The whole deal is great. I obviously love the Tap House in Germantown, but uh, the Sylvan Supply location is great as well. And, yeah, the, what I love about Bearded Iris and, and frankly, ML Rose as well, is their, their commitment to the community and to the neighborhoods and working together with other people – Barique is also a great local brewer, and for them to sort of collaborate together, we know how good Bearded Iris is with their with their hazy IPA. The home style has been as famous as any beer ever created in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, but they're doing really good work with Pilsners as well. So to add that one cent text is is a pretty cool concept there. And uh, so uh, just it's it's a very collaborative company, and to support other brewers like that, I think it speaks volumes to to who they are. So go support local business, man. ML Rose, you can get all your Bearded Iris at ML Rose as well. So, so go over there. Uh, this is a and, very uh, good synergy. You can also stumble between those two locations. Yes, yes, I, yes, I can yes. say, I can say from experience, it is not even a fourteen minute and twenty second walk. Uh, for those who are are familiar with podcast lore, that's the distance from ML Rose in ML Rose to Geodes Park. Uh, it is like I could do it faster. across the street. It I is effectively it across the street. So I'm going to cut uh, that to like 12 of those places. I'm going to cut it to 12 minutes. This, this, I'm going to get that 1420 down. Uh, no, just kids, be ca- no, not, a just, not with my kids, but, uh, but we'll get to transportation in a second with the mailbag. But uh, <laughs> again, crossing Charlotte though, right there at that location, you better do it at a light. Just do it at a crosswalk. Yeah. <laughs> they got the, well, they got those, uh, train tracks right there that everybody like takes flight over. <laughs> so. oh, <know>. Yes. <laughs> if you like catching air. <laughs> uh, yeah, Charlotte's Charlotte's crazy, man. Uh, no, Sylvan Supply is great. Great location across the street. You can go get a burger at ML Rose. It's great. So uh, and get yourself some bearded iris while you're there. So there you go. That is the tap of the week. Cannot wait to get the five year old uh, to the park on Sunday night. going to be a ton of fun. going to be a lot of fun. And I get to take her again in a couple of weeks because there's a 2 p.m. start time. So we're getting all the good kid start times out of the way early. So a couple of W's to start the season. A couple of results will be great. Regain that interest traction get the kids involved it's gonna be great so all right let's head to our mailbag here shall we tim let's do it all right first up justin belial now that the season is starting how do you rate nashville's off-season moves overall we had signings as recently as this week which we've already discussed of course uh and best of love to wes and his family yeah of course best of love to wes and his family but um as it as it relates to the question itself it's fine it's it's kind of what we just mentioned it's they're not reinventing the wheel in terms of this roster, in terms of the philosophy of the club. It is, um, you know, replacing old parts with new parts that are largely the same. I think uh, Drew Yearwood is is not going to be Dax McCarty, but uh, as we have said in the past, unfortunately, Dax McCarty has not been Dax McCarty for like a year and a half. So I think Nashville plugged in 
what they see as a, a similar piece to replace that sort of piece. And I, I just don't think there's that a whole lot is going to change. I think some of these moves, uh, like we previously mentioned, are going to be depth moves primarily, whether that's Coleman, uh, whether that's uh, Julian Gaines. These are these are moves that are depth and or future moves. So um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say, you know, if I were to give it a grade, I wouldn't say it's an A plus or anything, but, uh, you know, a, a solid a steady B because um, they know what they want to be and they're doing that. Um, regardless of whether we we agree with it or disagree with it, um, they, I think, executed uh, precisely how they would like to. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know where you'd grade it relative to the other off-seasons. Like, one of the only big moves I can remember was trading away Alistair Johnson, of course, took place mm -hmm. in, in the off-season. So there's no pieces like that that they lost this year. Losing Fafa and Dax is, is, a, is a part of the team, and those are important pieces. Yeah. But, I mean, most of the bigger moves have come in the season, right? I mean, this is not... Yeah. So it, it's not exactly... I don't know. It's hard to grade. I think it relative to the other off seasons yeah. we've seen. And I, and I think as we as we previously discussed, Surridge, who was a summer signing last year, if you look at him as somebody who is going to come into his own this year, you don't know if that's going to happen necessarily. There's no guarantee, but I think if you expect him to be the player that you signed rather than the player that you saw in regular season play, he was obviously outstanding in CCL, like we mentioned, or in uh, League's Cup, like we mentioned. Um, if you expect him to be that guy in, in regular season play, you didn't need to do a ton. You just needed to yep. kind of keep the boat on course, and Nashville has done that. Well, if if you count him as an offseason acquisition to some degree, like you're saying, and you package him with Boyd, and it does work atop the formation, then you would say this has been one of the more productive off-seasons for the top of the formation maybe ever yeah, in franchise yeah, history. Absolutely. So yeah. uh, we shall see. All right. Andrew in Kansas City. Uh, with the season here, how many times do you expect to make the 14-minute, 20-second <laughs> walk from ML Rose to Geodis Park this season? Thank you for pandering. We always approve pandering, <laughs> and we'll put pandering in the mailbag for sure. Yeah, and see, he knows the lore of the 14-minute and 20-second walk, too. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, plenty. Unfortunately, uh, Wes and I, uh, well, me more than Wes, but can't can't uh, imbibe before the game. So for me, it's actually more of the walk from Geodis Park to ML Rose after the game, after the yeah. press conferences. <laughs> so uh, I, listen, I, it's a well-worn track. I think you can probably see my footprints uh, as they have scraped away the the sidewalk there <laughs> on on uh, on Craighead. So uh, it's it's a it's a well-worn path, and that projects to continue this year i also don't i know some people use it but we don't want to broadcast that there's that that awesome cut through through the building parking lot up there where you can go up the <laughs> go up the ramp and you can kind of cut cut a major corner there and it spits you out right there by the the southwest uh, entrance there in in the uh, in the family section of course uh, also quick note and this was important i think and i i think nashville sc is going out of its way to, to do stuff about this which is of course the ingress and the egress to the stadium which we've complained about for a long long time uh, I, I've made that walk plenty of times. It's perfectly lovely walk with my wife or friends. It's, it's we do a lot of pre-gaming at ML Rose, uh, but there is some news because they've they've added all the bike stuff. They've added the scooter parking. They've added a bunch of things for folks to try to get in and out of. They've also added free bus rides in the WeGo public bus system. Of course, if you want to take the 52 route from Nolansville Pike and the 77 route from Thompson and Wedgwood, you can ride those for free to Geodis Park. So they are trying to do some creative ways to sort of um, get folks in and out of the area. They've obviously got all the other stuff as well, some of the buses and some of the um, the parking lots, and you can purchase single-game parking, and et cetera. But uh, by and large, it's the problem will not be solved until there are some large-scale fixes. But in the short term, they're they're doing some work with the partnership with Nashville's WeGo, which is their public bus transportation system, to try to get some folks in and out of the building. So maybe some good news there. I'd like to hear from folks, actually on how well that system is working. I'd love to know from from, from fans uh, who are using it, how well that system mm -hmm. is working. Yeah, and if um, if you if you do take that system, you can take it uh, from anywhere in town to uh, to 14 minutes and 20 seconds away from ML Rose. But uh, <laughs> it is, a it is uh, I think as people know, parking was one of the major talking points when Geodis Park was designed and built. Yep. Yep. Uh, and this is a way to alleviate that. I know a lot of people uh, have concerns about where they can park on a game day, whether they can park in front of people's houses um, across uh, the streets uh, to the north there. So I I, I would uh, encourage people to to check out public transit. It's obviously not a super popular, uh, uh, super popular choice in Nashville. And I, I think it should be. We need to make it more of a popular choice because when you go to because <laughs> when you go to Europe and you go to soccer stadiums, there is no parking at any of those stadiums. 
Okay. Some of them are in the middle of the woods. <laughs> well, those may have Union some. Berlin game. It is literally in the middle of a forest. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to London for the first time coming up in May with my wife. And I think I'm going to miss the end of, of all the EPL stuff. But uh, like, I'm going to go visit some stadiums. And I j- just because I want to see how little parking there is <laughs> at some of the EPL stadiums. No, look, to your point about 14 minutes and 20 seconds in those places where people go to soccer games for hundreds of years, especially in London or in Europe and some of the bigger leagues, 14 minute walk is nothing. That is an average, yeah. normal, regular uh, commute to a, to a, to a soccer stadium. It is absolutely regular. So my wife and I've done it plenty of times. Um, I've not done it with the kid yet. Uh, I don't know if the five-year-old's legs would make it all the way down that, that route, <laughs> but um, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll try it Sunday. Maybe I'll try it. They do love MO Rose, man. They crush the burgers and the waffle fries and the, the ranch yeah. dipping sauce because I've trained them off ketchup already. So <laughs> <laughs> they do. It is it is a great place to pregame. So go check out ML Rose there on Eighth Avenue, and of course you can swing by after the game as well uh, because it's a four o'clock, right? So you can still do yeah. some Sunday fun day after the game. There you go. Go in and and, yeah, and, do, and uh, do brunch. Do brunch beforehand. They got all kinds of great drink specials. Yeah. So. And and those who those who do either make the walk or or find another way between ML Rose and Geodis Park, make sure you. Uh, hit up hit us up on social media you can tag me um you can tag wes i'm sure he would love to see it even though, even if he's otherwise occupied right now he would still For love sure. to see it. it it warms his heart to see that sort of stuff so um tag us tag us in your pictures we'll, we'll retweet it ml rose loves to see that stuff too so thanks guys yes if you're walking uh just tag tag the walk uh to, to west bowling <laughs> and uh give him give him a cool message i think he would love that for sure uh, okay logan elliott Always a good part of the show. Instead of a full season preview, I'll ask uh, I'll ask a first third of the season preview. It's a really tough schedule, and it's compounded by having to play CONCACAF Champions Cup slash league matches. What would be a successful end of April portion of the table? Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, uh, the games that that's included for regular season are Red Bulls at Colorado, Galaxy, Charlotte at LAFC, Columbus, Philly at Miami, San mm. Jose. You also have uh, CCL in there. If you beat uh, Mocha FC, uh, knock on wood, you should be doing that. You'll play Miami next. And then if you beat Miami, you got a choice between Monterey and Cincy, uh, most likely. They aren't guaranteed to make it that far. But And then if you if you win that, you're most likely playing either Tigres or Crew. Um, only the first leg of that of that semifinal against Tigres or Crew would take place in April. But what I guess the point is there are only nine games uh, for the regular season before before the end of April, but a lot of soccer to be played. Yeah. Just eyeballing that, I, I think I, I look in that stretch and see uh, 14.5 points is where I would put like an over-under for where Nashville SC would be. Um, that would be 1.6 points per game across those nine games, which is typically good for about fourth by the end of the year. So that's what I'm going to go with. Um, if if people are curious, the games where I didn't commit to a win loss draw expectations, because believe it or not, you cannot get half a point in a game or at Colorado. <laughs> I was between a draw and a win there and at Miami, where I was between a draw and a loss. I think if Nashville does that in this really crowded part of the schedule and, and gets, um, you know, to either 14 or 15 points, they're in pretty good shape. Well, we shall see. Yeah, no, I would. I think fans would take that in two seconds, um, yeah. considering how difficult the stretch of the season is to get things started. Okay, uh, let's see here. Finn Breland, in honor of Messi chipping the ball over a dead body in last night's match, <laughs> what is the most disrespectful goal in Nashville SC history, and why is it Walker Zimmerman using Matuidi as a footstool in 2021? I have a couple. And, what and, a great uh, question. And it's not that, but it, uh, the first one is against Miami. Um, the Dax full field run and finish in the 2020 playoff match. Uh, yeah. You know, if uh, Wes and I always joke, we can make fun of Dax for being old because he's younger than us. But uh, he, that, that was an old man slalom run and he and to, to finish it in that match. I believe it might have been the third goal in the three nothing win uh, was was really disrespectful. Uh, I think it was Miami disrespecting itself more than anything. But hey, yeah. um, if you and then if you want to go back to the USL days, um, Rapapa Mensa volleying in a game winner against North Carolina FC. Um, yes, okay, stoppage time game winner is is pretty impressive. What makes it disrespectful is the fact that the ball was going to go into the net even if he didn't touch it, but he wanted to make sure um, he he banged it home and, and got credit for the goal. That has extra elements of disrespect to me. <laughs> just, just like stealing a goal from a teammate, <laughs> <laughs> but making sure I, I yeah, was, yeah, uh, yeah. No, exactly. that. Uh, exactly. But exactly. yeah, basically stealing a goal from a teammate. Yeah, the Dax full field run. I I remember that we were. I was in the press box. I think at Nissan Stadium, right for that. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, it's not Nissan. And and uh, man, that was. 
that's one of those where you're just watching it and it feels like you're watching it in slow motion <laughs> but uh i you know disrespectful i don't know if i'd call it disrespectful but uh yeah messy messy just messy disrespects all of humanity most of the <laughs> most of the time i mean yeah i mean not that we have to relive the match at geodis but like that w- what he did at yeah. the top of the box is I, I mean like there was nothing the defense did wrong in that situation or the keeper it was just just pure disrespect for the sport. <laughs> yeah. He just no, is is utmost respect for the sport and disrespect to anyone else who has ever. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's that's a better way of putting it because it's just sort of like no, no one, yeah. no other humans can do what you just yeah. did. And I, I was sitting behind that goal when it happened with my wife, and my wife was mm-hmm. new to sort of messy fandom. She watched like the World Cup, of course, because it was spectacular, but she was new to it. And I, and I, that was like she looked at me, and she was like, "I get it now." <laughs> <laughs> he's like okay i get it i get it now i understand i was like yeah uh-huh <laughs> he, he just floats around for about 75 minutes and then he does some crazy nonsense like that and you understand yeah. and you get it and you understand so uh okay there you go uh listen please 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 send some well wishes thoughts prayers vibes whatever it is that you believe in um please send some of those things towards west bowling and his family just Put them out into the world. Um, I'm a big believer in all the energy out there. I'm a vibes guy, you know. So uh, let's let's create some positive vibes for Wes and his family. Uh, I am honored to be your Bolu Yodi today on the show. Stop the <laughs> ball, get the ball, pass it back to Tim Sullivan as soon as I get it to create a really high pass completion rate. Uh, hopefully, we you guys enjoyed the show. And uh, uh, obviously, special thanks to Moon Taxi for their music. Special thanks to ML Rose for their support and their support of Wes and his family and the support of this show and your community. Special thanks to Beard Iris for their support as well. Uh, and of course, if you would like to read all of Tim's... special thanks to yourself, because we always thank you. <laughs> no, if you'd like to read Tim Sullivan's work, where should they go? Yeah, head to clubcountryusa.com um, on social media at Club Country USA, all platforms. Uh, getting back into it, I, it's been a, a weird off season, but um, you know, season's yeah. here. So it's no longer a weird off season. Absolutely. And uh, obviously, uh, thanks to you, Tim, and to you, the audience, yeah. for allowing me to hang out for a little while. It's it's a ton of fun. And uh, going into my like sixth season as a season ticket holder, getting my kids involved in this stuff, is it's been absolute joy as a parent and a father, and I can't wait to get the season going. So enjoy 2024. Uh, send all the good energy and the good vibes and the good tweets towards West Bowling. Uh, we are thinking about you, man. Hang in there. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy the match like the rest of us on Sunday. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Club & Country Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network.